Chapter Two of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. As a natural consequence of her hard work and her midnight awakening, Marcia overslept the next morning. Her stepmother called her sharply, and she dressed in haste, not even taking time to glance toward the new folds of chins that drew her thoughts closetward. She dared not say anything about it yet. There was much to be done, and not even Kate had time for an idle word with her. Marcia was called upon to run errands, to do odds and ends of things, to fill in vacant places, to sew on lost buttons, to do everything for which nobody else had time. The household had suddenly become aware that there was now but one more intervening day between them and the wedding. It was not until late in the afternoon that Marcia ventured to put on her frock. Even then she felt shy about appearing in it. Madame Schuyler was busy in the parlor with collars, and Kate was locked in her own room whither she had gone to rest. There was no one to notice if Marcia should dress up, and it was not unlikely that she might escape much notice even at the supper-table, as everybody was so absorbed in other things. She lingered before her own little glass, looking wistfully at herself. She was pleased with the frock she had made, and liked her appearance in it. But yet there was something disappointing about it. It had none of the style of her sister's garments, newly come from the hand of the village mantua-maker. It was girlish, and showed her slip of a form prettily in the fashion of the day, but she felt too young. She wanted to look older. She searched her drawer and found a bit of black velvet, which she pinned about her throat with a pin containing the miniature of her mother. Then with a second thought, she drew the long braids up in loops and fastened them about her head in older fashion. It suited her well, and the change it made astonished her. She decided to wear them so and see if others would notice. Surely some day she would be a young woman and perhaps then she would be allowed to have a will of her own occasionally. She drew a quick breath as she descended the stairs and found her stepmother and the visitor just coming into the hall from the parlor. They both involuntarily ceased their talk and looked at her in surprise. Over Madame Schuyler's face there came a look as if she had received a revelation. Marcia was no longer a child, but had suddenly blossomed into young womanhood. It was not the time she would have chosen for such an event. There was enough going on, and Marcia was still in school. She had no desire to steer another young soul through the various dangers and follies that beset a pretty girl from the time she puts up her hair until she is safely married to the right man, or the wrong one. She had just begun to look forward with relief to having Kate well settled in life. Kate had been a hard one to manage. She had too much will of her own, and a pretty way of always having it. She had no deep sense of reverence for old, staid manners and customs. Many a long lecture had Madame Schuyler delivered to Kate upon her unseemly ways. It did not please her to think of having to go through it all so soon again, therefore upon her usually complacent brow there came a look of dismay. "'Why!' exclaimed the visitor, is this the bride? How tall she looks! No, bless me, it isn't, is it? Yes, well, I'll declare, it's just Marsh. What have you got on, child? 
How old you look! Marcia flushed. It was not pleasant to have her young womanhood questioned, and in a tone so familiar and patronizing. She disliked the name of Marsh exceedingly, especially upon the lips of this woman, a sort of second cousin of her stepmother's. She would rather have chosen the new frock to pass under inspection of her stepmother without witnesses, but it was too late to turn back now. She must face it. Though Madame Schuyler's equilibrium was a trifle disturbed, she was not one to show it before a visitor. Instantly she recovered her balance, and perhaps Marcia's ordeal was less trying than if there had been no third person present. "'That looks very well, child,' she said critically, with a shade of complacence in her voice. It is true that Marcia had gone beyond orders in purchasing and making garments unknown to her, yet the neatness and fit could not but reflect well upon her training. It did no harm for Cousin Maria to see what a child of her training could do. It was, on the whole, a very creditable piece of work, and Madame Schuyler grew more reconciled to it as Marcia came down toward them. "'Make it yourself?' asked Cousin Maria. "'Why, Marsh, you did real well. My Matilda does all her own clothes now. It's time you were learning. It's a trifle longish to what you've been wearing them, isn't it? But you'll grow into it, I dare say. Got your hair a new way, too.' I thought you were Kate when you first started downstairs. You'll make a good-looking young lady when you grow up. Only don't be in too much hurry. Take your girlhood while you've got it, is what I always tell Matilda. Matilda was well on to thirty, and showed no signs of taking anything else. Madame Schuyler smoothed an imaginary pucker across the shoulders, and again pronounced the work good. I picked berries and got the cloth confessed Marcia. Madame Schuyler smiled benevolently and patted Marcia's cheek. "'You needn't have done that, child. Why didn't you come to me for money? You needed something new, and that is a very good purchase. A little light, perhaps, but very pretty. We've been so busy with Kate's things, you've been neglected.' Marcia smiled with pleasure and passed into the dining-room, wondering what power the visitor had over her stepmother to make her pass over this digression from her rules so sweetly, nay, even with praise. At supper they all rallied Marcia upon her changed appearance. Her father jokingly said that when the bridegroom arrived he would hardly know which sister to choose, and he looked from one comely sister to the other with fatherly pride. He praised Marcia for doing the work so neatly, and inwardly admired the courage and independence that prompted her to get the money by her own unaided efforts rather than to ask for it, and later, as he passed through the room where she was helping to remove the dishes from the table, he paused and handed her a crisp five-dollar note. It had occurred to him that one daughter was getting all the good things and the other was having nothing. There was a pleasant tenderness in his eyes, a recognition of her rights as a young woman, that made Marcia's heart exceedingly light. There was something strange about the influence this little new frock seemed to have upon people. Even Kate had taken a new tone with her. Much of the time at supper she had sat staring at her sister. Marcia wondered about it as she walked down toward the gate after her work was done. Kate had never seemed so quiet. 
Was she just beginning to realize that she was leaving home forever, and was she thinking how the home would be after she had left it? How she, Marcia, would take the place of elder sister, with only Harriet and the boys, their stepsister and brothers, left? Was Kate sad over the thought of going so far away from them, or was she feeling suddenly the responsibility of the new position she was to occupy and the duties that would be hers? No, that could not be it, for surely that would bring a softening of expression, a sweetness of anticipation, and Kate's expression had been wondering, perplexed, almost troubled. If she had not been her own sister, Marcia would have added, hard, but she stopped short at that. It was a lovely evening. The twilight was not yet over as she stepped from the low piazza that ran the length of the house, bearing another above it on great white pillars. A drapery of wisteria, in full bloom, festooned across one end and half over the front. Marcia stepped back across the stone flagging and driveway to look up the purple clusters of graceful fairy-like shape that embowered the house, and thought how beautiful it would look when the wedding guests should arrive the day after the morrow. Then she turned into the little gravel path, box-bordered, that led to the gate. Here and there, on either side, luxuriant blooms of dahlias, peonies, and roses leaned over into the night and peered at her. The yard had never looked so pretty. The flowers truly had done their best for the occasion, and they seemed to be asking some word of commendation from her. They nodded their dewy heads sleepily as she went on. Tomorrow the children would be coming back from Aunt Eliza's, where they had been sent safely out of the way for a few days, and the last things would arrive. And he would come. Not later than three in the afternoon he ought to arrive, Kate had said, though there was a possibility that he might come in the morning, but Kate was not counting upon it. He was to drive from his home to Schenectady, and, leaving his own horse there to rest, come on by coach. Then he and Kate would go back in fine style to Schenectady in a coach and pair, with a colored coachman, and at Schenectady take their own horse and drive on to their home, a long, beautiful ride, so thought Marcia half-enviously. How beautiful it would be! What endless delightful talks they might have about the trees and birds and things they saw in passing, only Kate did not love to talk about such things. But then she would be with David, and he talked beautifully about nature or anything else. Kate would learn to love it if she loved him. Did Kate love David? Of course she must, or why should she marry him? Marcia resented the thought that Kate might have other objects in view, such as Marianne Fothergill had suggested, for instance. Of course, Kate would never marry any man unless she loved him. That would be a dreadful thing to do. Love was the greatest thing in the world. Marcia looked up to the stars, her young soul thrilling with awe and reverence for the great mysteries of life. She wondered again if life would open some time for her in some such great way, and if she would ever know better than now what it meant. Would someone come and love her? Someone whom she could love in return with all the fervor of her nature? She had dreamed such dreams before many times, as girls will, while lovers and future are all in one dreamy, sweet blending of rosy tints and joyous mystery, but never had they come to her with such vividness as that night. 
perhaps it was because the household had recognized the woman in her for the first time that evening perhaps because the vision she had seen reflected in her mirror before she left her room that afternoon had opened the door of the future a little wider than it had ever opened before she stood by the gate where the syringa and lilac bushes leaned over and arched the way and the honeysuckle climbed about the fence in a wild pretty way of its own and flung sweetness on the air in vivid erratic whiffs the sidewalk outside was brick and whenever she heard footsteps coming she stepped back into the shadow of the syringa and was hidden from view she was in no mood to talk with any one she could look out into the dusty road and see dimly the horses and carryalls as they passed and recognize an occasional laughing voice of some village maiden out with her best young man for a ride others strolled along the sidewalk and fragments of talk floated back almost every one had a word to say about the wedding as they neared the gate and if marcia had been in another mood it would have been interesting and gratifying to her pride every one had a good word for kate though many disapproved of her in a general way for principle's sake hanford weston passed with long slouching gait hands in his trousers pockets and a frightened hasty sideways glance toward the lights of the house beyond he would have gone in boldly to call if he had dared and told marcia that he had done her bidding and now wanted a reward but john middleton had joined him at the corner and he dared not make the attempt john would have done it in a minute if he had wished he was brazen by nature but hanford knew that he would as readily laugh at another for doing it hanford shrank from a laugh more than from the cannon's mouth so he slouched on not knowing that his goddess held her breath behind a lilac bush not three feet away her heart beating in annoyed taps to be again interrupted by him in her pleasant thoughts merry laughing voices mingling with many footsteps came sounding down the street and paused beside the gate marcia knew the voices and again slid behind the shrubbery that bordered all the way to the house and not even a gleam of her light frock was visible they trooped in three or four girlfriends of kate's and a couple of young men marcia watched them pass up the box-bordered path from her shadowy retreat and thought how they would miss kate and wondered if the young men who had been coming there so constantly to see her had no pangs of guilt that their friend and leader was about to leave them then she smiled at herself in the dark she seemed to be doing the retrospect for kate taking leave of all the old friends home and life in kate's place it was not her life anyway and why should she bother herself and sigh and feel this sadness creeping over her for some one else was it just that she was going to lose her sister no for kate had never been much of a companion to her she had always put her down as a little girl and made distinct and clear the difference in their ages marcia had been the little maid to fetch and carry the errand girl and unselfish devoted slave in kate's life there had been nothing protective and elder sisterly in her manner toward marcia at times marcia had felt this keenly but no expression of this lack had ever crossed her lips and afterwards her devotion to her sister had been the greater to in a measure compensate for this reproachful thought but marcia could not shake the sadness off 
She stole in further among the trees to think about it till the callers should go away. She felt no desire to meet any of them. She began again to wonder how she would feel if day after tomorrow were her wedding day, and she were going away from home and friends, and all the scenes with which she had been familiar since babyhood. Would she mind very much leaving them all? Father? Yes, father had been good to her, and loved her, and was proud of her in a way. But one does not lose one's father, no matter how far one goes. A father is a father always, and Mr. Schuyler was not a demonstrative man. Marcia felt that her father would not miss her deeply, and she was not sure she would miss him so very much. She had read to him a great deal, and talked politics with him whenever he had no one better by, but aside from that, her life had been lived much apart from him. Her stepmother? Yes, she would miss her as one misses a perfect mentor and guide. She had been used to looking to her for direction. She was thoroughly conscious that she had a will of her own and would like a chance to exercise it. Still, she knew that in many cases, without her stepmother, she would be like a rudderless ship, a guideless traveler. And she loved her stepmother, too, as a young girl can love a good woman who has been her guide and helper, even though there has never been great tenderness between them. Yes, she would miss her stepmother, but she would not feel so very sad over it. Harriet and the little brothers? Oh, yes, she would miss them. They were dear little things and devoted to her. Then there were the neighbors and the schoolmates and the people of the village. She would miss the minister, the dear old minister and his wife. Many a time she had gone with her arms full of flowers to the parsonage down the street and spent the afternoon with the minister's wife. Her smooth white hair over its muslin cap and her soft wrinkled cheek were very dear to the young girl. She had talked to this friend more freely about her innermost thoughts than she had ever spoken to any living being. Oh, she would miss the minister's wife very much if she were to go away. The names of her schoolmates came to her. Harriet Woodgate, Eliza Buchanan, Margaret Fletcher, three girls who were her intimates. She would miss them, of course, but how much? She could scarcely tell. Margaret Fletcher more than the other two. Marianne Fothergill? She almost laughed at the thought of anybody missing Marianne. John Middleton? Hanford Weston? There was not a boy in the school she would miss for an instant, she told herself with conviction. Not one of them realized her ideal. There was much pairing off of boy and girl in school, but Marcia, like the heroine of Comin' Through the Rye, was good friends with all the boys and intimate with none. They all counted it an honor to wait upon her, and she cared not a farthing for any. She felt herself too young, of course, to think of such things, but when she dreamed her daydreams, the lover and prince who figured in them bore no familiar form or feature. He was a prince, and these were only schoolboys. The merry chatter of the young people in the house floated through the open windows, and Marcia could hear her sister's voice above them all. Chameleon-like, she was all gaiety and laughter now, since her gravity at supper. They were coming out the front door and down the walk. Kate was with them. Marcia could catch glimpses of the girls' white frocks as they came nearer. She saw that her sister was walking with Captain Leavenworth. 
he was a handsome young man who made a fine appearance in his uniform he and kate had been intimate for two years and it might have been more than friendship had not kate's father interfered between them he did not think so well of the handsome young captain as did either his daughter kate or the united states navy who had given him his position squire schuyler required deep integrity and strength of moral character in the man who aspired to be his son-in-law the captain did not number much of either among his virtues there had been a short sharp contest which had ended in the departure of young leavenworth from the town some three years before and the temporary plunging of kate schuyler into a season of tears and pouting but it had not been long before her gay laughter was ringing again and her father thought she had forgotten about that time david spafford had appeared and promptly fallen in love with the beautiful girl and the schuyler mind was relieved so it came about that on the reappearance of the handsome young captain wearing the insignia of his first honors the squire received him graciously he even felt that he might be more lenient about his moral character and told himself that perhaps he was not so bad after all he must have something in him or the united states government would not have seen fit to honor him it was easier to think so now kate was safe marcia watched her sister and the captain go laughing down to the gate and out into the street she wondered that kate could care to go out tonight when it was to be almost her last evening at home wondered too that kate would walk with captain leavenworth when she belonged to david now she might have managed it to go with one of the girls but that was kate's way kate's ways were not marcia's ways marcia wondered if she would miss kate and was obliged to acknowledge to herself that in many ways her sister's absence would be a relief to her while she recognized the power of her sister's beauty and will over her she felt oppressed sometimes by the strain she was under to please and wearied of the constant half fretful half playful fault-finding the gay footsteps and voices died away down the village street and marcia ventured forth from her retreat the moon was just rising and came up a glorious burnished disc silhouetting her face as she stood a moment listening to the stirring of a bird among the branches it was her will to-night to be alone and let her fancies wander where they would the beauty and the mystery of a wedding was upon her touching all her deeper feelings and she wished to dream it out and wonder over it again it came to her what if the day after to-morrow were her wedding day and she stood alone thinking about it she would not have gone off down the street with a lot of giggling girls nor walked with another young man she would have stood here or down by the gate and she moved on toward her favorite arch of lilac and syringa yes down by the gate in the darkness looking out and thinking how it would be when he should come she felt sure if it had been herself who expected david she would have begun to watch for him a week before the time he had set for coming heralding it again and again to her heart in joyous thrills of happiness for who knew but he might come sooner and surprise her she would have rejoiced that to-night she was alone and would have excused herself from everything else to come down here in the stillness and watch for him and think how it would be when he would really get there she would hear his step echoing down the street 
and would recognize it as his. She would lean far over the gate to listen and watch, and it would come nearer and nearer, and her heart would beat faster and faster, and her breath come quicker, until he was at last by her side, his beautiful surprise for her in his eyes. But now, if David should really try to surprise Kate by coming that way to-night, he would not find her waiting nor thinking of him at all, but off with Captain Leavenworth. With a passing pity for David, she went back to her own dream. With one elbow on the gate and her cheek in her hand, she thought it all over. The delayed evening coach rumbled up to the tavern not far away and halted. Real footsteps came up the street, but Marcia did not notice them only as they were made more vivid in her thoughts. Her dream went on and the steps drew nearer, until suddenly they halted and someone appeared out of the shadow. Her heart stood still, for form and face in the darkness seemed unreal, and the dreams had been most vivid. Then with tender masterfulness, two strong arms were flung about her, and her face was drawn close to his across the vine-twined gate until her lips touched his. One long clinging kiss of tenderness he gave her, and held her head close against his breast for just a moment, while he murmured, My darling, my precious, precious Kate, I have you at last. The spell was broken. Marcia's dream was shattered. Her mind awoke. With a scream she sprang from him, horror and a wild but holy joy mingling with her perplexity. She put her hand upon her heart, marveling over the sweetness that lingered upon her lips, trying to recover her senses as she faced the eager lover who opened the little gate and came quickly toward her, as yet unaware that it was not Kate to whom he had been talking. End of chapter 2